signing in. Carl's got good reach. Okay. Um, should, we, should we get started, guys? I think, I think this is recording, so, you know, might as well just start, and um, I'll kick it off. Okay. But, okay, so the point, and, and Carl and, and John, uh, I don't know if, I'm sure everyone's familiar with uh, Carl, who is the biggest following. John, do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit, or? Um, oh, not much to say. I'm, um, uh, I'm Malaysian. Um, I live, uh, right now in upstate New York. Uh, I was in Manhattan for a few years. Um, and, uh, most of my life I've, I've worked in, uh, I've worked actually between government and, uh, think tanks, um, and, uh, actually private sector as well. Uh, a lot of it in consulting. So, um, so, yeah. So you're the guy that would be how in front of the Congress and answer questions of why you are <laughs> infiltrating U.S. of A, right? Uh, yeah, I've, uh, j just today I've been associated with uh, Opus Dei and uh, with some sort of um, Catholic, uh, consp uh, CCP Catholic conspiracy. Uh, take a look on my timeline. Uh, this is uh, the new Opus Dei, Chinese Opus Dei. So that would be me. Yeah, yeah. They're probably listening okay. in right now. I thought I thought you two would be a great uh, would be great to have this discussion with. I think for just to start off the bat, like the reason I figured we should try and host something is because I've I've I'm a fan of the Twitter spaces that a lot of people uh, have been putting together that that are talking about um, you know uh, a foreign policy and you know the, the the sort of like escalation we're seeing in Asia and the potential for war in Asia. And I'm interested because you know some of the people who do the space. Yeah, I, I feel like they're genuinely afraid and, and anxious about what's going on. And, and I take that, you know, I'm very sympathetic to that. And, and I think it's worth, uh, you know, having better discussions around this than what we're seeing in the media. One thing, one, one critique I have of what I've seen so far is that there's a tendency to <clears throat> collapse America into like a singular uh, one-dimensional entity. And I think that results from either, you know, a, a lack of a lack of thinking about America, or perhaps like an emotional uh, and an understandable emotional anger or disgust at the behavior of America. But I think you know that 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 that, that that's not very helpful in terms of trying to figure out where we're actually going. And so I thought, you know, instead of these spaces where we're always analyzing China and how China is reacting to this aggressor and what's going on in China. Let's, let's turn the tables and, and let's try and dissect and analyze America, the U.S. And, and, and the complex politics, the factional politics in play in the U.S. And John and I, Carl, had just been talking right prior to this. And I think we're on the same page, which is that on the one hand, if you look at it from this sort of like realist geopolitical international relations perspective, um, like we're heading towards war is what they're saying. All the all the factors, all the pressures are building up that are leading up to war as an inevitability. But on the other hand, if you look at the specifics, if you look at how exactly do we get from where we are today to where I turn on the cable news and I'm actually seeing a real report about this escalating military entanglement going on in Asia that leads all the way up to a report about we're getting reports that uh, it appears that China has fired missiles aimed at the United States, uh, and we are now confirming that we have exchanged. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's patently ridiculous to think that that is something that's going to happen in the near future. So it's this thing where on the one hand, from one mode of analysis, it's a certainty. On the other hand, if you think about it as something that's actually going to have to happen in the real world that we were going to have to actually personally experience, it's outlandish. And so I think that's causing a lot of uh, anxiety and cognitive dissonance because it's both impossible and absolutely unavoidable at the same time. So I just wanted to start there um, and, uh, and maybe see what you guys think. How do you, how do you deal with this, this sort yeah, of like I mean, incompatible? I mean, definitely. I mean, definitely we should focus on the U.S. because 
right now, uh, there's no both side in this because it's not China that's trying to start a war with U.S. Despite what the Congress uh, selected committee on the CCP says, right now it's U.S. that's really pushing hard. I mean, by U.S., I'm talking about the ruling class of U.S. I mean, I, I doubt the average working class Americans are gung-ho about going to a war with China when they're most likely to be drafted. And and right now we're talking about Congress members, think tankers. Um, all these people get paid off by the military-industrial complex are pushing really hard for the war with a nuclear power i mean this is crazy like not yet nobody is questioning this in the mainstream media so uh i'm glad we're having this uh, twitter space i think this is this the reason we're seeing this it has to be to do with a particular psychosis of the american society and that's where you um teen uh could provide some particular insight on how we got here. I mean, I jokingly said we should title this uh, space Fallout Prequel USA, but when I think about it, it's actually <laughs> not, not accurate because Fallout is about the societal collapse after post-nuclear apocalypse. But right now, United States is experiencing societal collapse before the bomb even fell. So what the hell is going on, uh, Teen? Maybe you can help us to understand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad to uh, give my thoughts. But, John, uh, where are you, where, where, what do you, how do you react to this, um, this weird duality of certainty and just outlandishness of the idea of having a direct war in Asia visa, you know, firing on chi Chinese, on, on the PLA and vice versa. Yeah, I, I think that's precisely what we want to get at um, and what motivated this, this, this space, the absolute bizarreness of, of this conjunction, right? Of uh, this, 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 the almost certainty uh, in the way sort of American media talks, American politicians uh, about the sort of imminence of, uh, about imminent war, and, you know, there's this bizarre sense of the unreal. Um, the other day, Bob Carr, the um, foreign minister, former foreign minister of Australia, uh, you know, did a tweet where he says, war with, uh, does media never give up about war with China? What's this war going to look like? RAF bombers over Shanghai, Incheon-style landings in Fujian, our missiles forcing 1.4 billion Chinese to head for shelters, over 1 million Australians of Chinese ancestry going off to internment, so on and so forth, right? There's just something absolutely bizarre about this. And I, I'm interested in getting at, I want to turn the, the, the scope the other way and look at the, the United States uh, and, and also at the UK and Australia by, by extension. Um, what sort of, sort of cultural insanity or what sort of, a, uh, what sort of state of mind, right, uh, do you have to be in to start talking like this about something so absolutely un unthinkable? Um, so that's the, the sort of the, the tension that I thought would make a very interesting discussion. The other thing is really to turn the thing the other at the, the at the U.S. So Tina and I were kidding, and with with Carl as well. This should be the launch of the America Watchers Club. You know, we're all sick of the sort of China Watcher thing, right? Let's do some Kremlinology back on 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 the U.S. Let's count the teacups. Right. Let, let's see what's going on here. And uh, so much of that is, is left out of the usual analysis of what's going on. So Tina and I were talking earlier. You have this sort of IR perspective, realists, liberal internationalists and whatnot, which uh, talk about sort of imminent war uh, because of such and such factors. But this black boxes what the U.S. is, you know, it completely black boxes the conditions here. And we want to uh, that might be driving this. Not to mention, it also black boxes the, uh, you know, the, the, the financial uh, issues and the uh, financial dynamics. So that's what we want to get at. Um, one proviso at the very beginning of this is uh, we wanted to set aside the usual sort of America bad stuff. To, and we want to sort of approach this with curiosity about what exactly is going on in this bizarre place, right? Or, or what's going on in the, uh, in the political dynamics and in, in particularly in the ideological ones. Now, I'm uh, Malaysian, uh, but I've lived in America for um, two, 
I, I've lived in America on and off, and right now I live here. Um, so, uh, so then I have a perspective that's from from Southeast Asia, where actually Carl is, and I envy him. Uh, so, so we have three of us this 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 uh, set of perspectives, you know, uh, and uh, I think we're going to have a great discussion. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm glad we have both Ju uh, Zhang and Teen here to provide some expertise because I'm just a shit poster on the internet and I <laughs> I'm just flabbergasted how these people talking about war with China, but they're talking about oh like you said you know you know bombing Shanghai or or, or, or fighting along the Chinese yep. coast and they pretend yep. like nothing is going to happen to say the U.S. Homeland. I mean, like, like, like they, they really think they can bring a war to the Chinese shore, and somehow the U.S. mainland will be will be uh, immune. I mean, I, this is obviously false because because I play video games and I play video games Fallout series since 1997. I know when two <laughs> nuclear power comes to blow, right? This is inevitably going to escalate into nuclear exchange, and then we all. Do we all be LARPing file our universe in America, you know, in the post-apocalyptic world? So, um, having said that, uh, Teen, what is going on in America? Well, okay, I think that the first, maybe one thing to think about is, like, who is actually, or what group in America is actually pushing out this runaway sinophobia? Because I think that's what it is. It's a runaway process. It's it's like a it's like a spiral, and I and I have to think that it's it's really Congress at heart and a lot of politicians, but I think the heart of it is in Congress, uh, and then you 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 get um, from Congress and 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 a little bit uh, outside of of Congress, you do have politicians. You have prosecutors right now, federal prosecutors, state prosecutors. You have governors. But it's the it's the elected po uh, politicians that seem to be engaging most in this. We can go into why, but I think I think that that the rhetoric is coming out fast and loud and harder and harder every day from the from the elected officials. Curiously, I don't think that if you look in American, if you drop into any bar in America on any given night, nobody's talking about China. Now, I, my, uh, you know, I'm from Washington, D.C. I go visit every now and then. Sometimes, just for fun, I'll go drive by the Chinese embassy, the new compound. It's right across the street from, I believe, the, Isra the Israeli embassy. Nobody's there. There's no picketers. There's no protests. You know, there, people aren't hurling firebombs or whatever. Nobody's there. It's a peaceful. Just, it's absolutely quiet there. Uh, you see people in America uh, protesting active, engaged in the street, passionate about all sorts of things. You have teacher strikes in L.A. You've got all sorts of, uh, you know, you've got, you've got all sorts of citizen movements. And I have never seen one, at least not an organic one, that was about China. So I'm say what I was saying is that there's a real difference between what your average American thinks. I mean, if you poll them about China, sure, they'll say, yeah, I got pretty negative views about China, fine. And the data will show that over the past, I don't know, six, seven years, that the, that the opinion of China and the U.S. has gotten increasingly worse. But that only shows you the, the orientation of that view. It doesn't show you how deeply held that view is. I saw, for example, today there was, um, I think it was a Pew report, or it was a pretty reputable report on Asian American uh, political views about China. They're, you know, getting increasingly negative, kind of like the rest of the, the rest of the country. But then they asked them to rank what their political priorities were going into this next election. And war with China or tensions with China rate, ranked about at the very bottom of their list of priorities. Top of the list was things, just kitchen table stuff, right? My, my job security, my health insurance, education, those kind of things, still at the very top of the list. So I think uh, to, to kind of like just offer you guys like a framework for what I think is going on is there is such a deep divide in this country. There are such, there's such a deep 
um, and dangerous political chasm. And no one really knows the shape of this chasm, but there's certain hot button issues that just absolutely set both sides or, or opposite sides against each other. And that includes race, that includes gender, that includes class, that includes all sorts of social divisions in America. So what I think is going on, and this has been said explicitly, is that fear-mongering about China is the, quote, rare bipartisan issue that politicians can safely stump on without really pissing anyone off. Because there is obviously an ambient anti-Chinese, xenophobic, racist, xenophobic uh, tendency in America. But I don't think it's nearly as strong as what the elected officials are doing. So I think part of this is um, politicians trying to find a way to grab headlines, to grab attention, which is their primary job, without triggering it huge violent backlashes against what they say by the other side because there really is no other side currently there's no rabid ants you know i you know you're not going to get in trouble for saying that china is the enemy but nor are you going to get a ton of you know very you know people who feel very strongly about this it is a it's a dog of an issue i don't think that it it really incites the passions of regular american people that much which is why the politicians can go and run with it as if it as if war were imminent the very next day. So I think that's a starting point, but I don't know, maybe maybe you guys can uh, react to that. But Tim, you uh, wanna I, add I, I, want, oh sorry. So ahead, no, just ahead. asking Tim to to, to to add your 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 observations about how this issue is not how the, those uh, candidates, those presidential candidates uh, who are making a lot of this issue, how they're doing. And that was a that was a good point, I I, I recall. Yes, like Marco Rubio. I don't know if he's officially thrown in, but Marco Rubio. Uh, one, one of the one of the most uh, outspoken is Nikki Haley. Uh, you know, and they're polling in you know low single digits. You know, I mean, she's going out and saying that you know she's doing the whole China is raping America thing, and you know if I'm gonna if I'm president, I'm gonna get tough. I'm gonna get smart, and I'm not gonna take it anymore from China. She's polling at like two percent, three percent. I mean, nobody cares about this stuff. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's true. I noticed among the Republican uh, presidential hopefuls, it's the ones that's polling single digits like Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. Uh, these people are trying to outdo each other, see who can utter the most insane, most xenophobic uh, remarks. Uh, it, it, it's interesting because we know none of them have a realistic chance to become the president of the United States in the next election cycle. Um, and yet they're, yeah, may, maybe they're, they're, are you saying they're just doing this to grab uh, headlines? Uh, yes. I, I think that, for example, this, you know, the China initiative, in all, which is that DOJ program that got started under Trump, which Biden never really put a real end to. And as you see, there's still a lot of these, you know, you know, Chinophobic, purges these claims that china has infiltrated industry government academia you name it there's chinese police stations and you got richie torres who is a representative from the bronx trying to become like you know the voice of like of of ringing the alarm bell on china why is he doing it i don't believe for a second that richie torres or nikki haley or any of them I don't believe that they're really xenophobic. I'm not really even sure that they can point out China on a map. They certainly can't point out Taiwan on a map. Maybe Nikki Haley can, but Richie Torres can't. And what I'm saying is that they're not, re they're not really putting their back into this. They're don't, they don't really believe what they're saying. They're saying this because they can, you can scream this as loud as you want, and you're not going to get blowback because nobody really cares. Now, if you were to go and, and, and as a Democrat or Republican – make something like reproductive rights or trans rights or LGBTQ rights or race, racial equity, either on the, uh, you know, either on the liberal or the conservative side, you're going to draw a lot of blowback one way or another. Right. And they don't want that. They don't want to be maligned by half the media or half the populate. They don't want that. They don't want that smoke. Right. What they want is something where they can go and grab headlines because they know the media is complicit in this. The media we can talk about the media separately, but they will amplify your voice if you go out and you rail against China. And no one's going to fight back. 
but nobody is going to care either. And that's why the top polling Republican candidate, which is obviously Trump, what's he saying? She's uh, translator was really hot. I mean, beautiful. And what else did he say? Oh, she she is just he's a, he's a brilliant man. Nobody in Hollywood could play this man. I mean, he says stuff that's totally against uh, this idea of you know, what you're supposed to say about China. And he's polling at 55 percent. It's hilarious how he gets away with it. It's yeah. hilarious and very telling. It is. I think it's very telling. So uh, I think sinophobia is widespread, but it's not deep, is my point. Okay, just question. I see somebody raise hand. Are we opening uh, the floor for questioning at this point? Or... Um, well, maybe in a few okay, minutes. I see you already yeah. granted the speaker status. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I guess that, that answers that question. Uh, uh, Chili, Chili, you, you wanted to ask a question? Uh, you, you now have the speaker status. Chili Duke, Chili Dog, Big Chili Dog, you there? Okay, so uh, while he's getting ready, I just wanted to, to um, uh, respond a bit to, to what Tien was saying. Um, you know, this point about the disconnection, the alienation of, uh, you know, what these guys are talking about, what the leadership is talking about, what, what Carl calls the ruling elite, um, the, the gap between them and what's going on with the population, this is a general thing not just about China, China talk, not just about China discourse. So there is a bizarre disconnect. There's a huge disconnect between the stuff they're talking about on top, which is increasingly abstract and empty, and uh, the real concerns of, of people. If you take a look at um, Biden's recent um, announcement, this was an exercise in the most sort of abstract and, and, and meaningless sort of uh, declarations. Uh, so Biden in, uh, released a, not a speech, but a video uh, in which um, the word um, freedom shows up six times, democracy four times. There's no, there's no allusion to what he's achieved. This is normally what an incumbent would do, right? Well, what have I done? No plan, no vision, nothing. It's all about defending democracy and um, freedom, which uh, in the past... Uh, was a kind of a more a Republican thing. So now it's freedom, freedom, uh, democracy. Um, you know, I thought, hey, hang on, they're doing to the American population what they do to those other con- uh, to to countries like our outside, like ours, where uh, which they want to regime change. This is the uh, talk, the discourse of empire come home, completely disconnected uh, from the reality of people's lives from uh, issues that uh, in the developing world, uh, in the third world, we call development issues, right? Uh, you know, inequality, developing people's lives, social policy. So, so there you, you have this disconnect, not just in the sort of rabid China talk, between China talk and uh, people's concerns, uh, but on almost anything else, including cultural issues. That's my point. Yeah, you know, John, like, one of the things that I've noticed um, is that there, there doesn't seem to be a consensus around what fascism is, and, but there is a lot of accusations and, or, or labeling of things as fascist. Now, I think one of the definitions I've heard is that fascism is a tendency to take your current broken system, your current broken social and political system, and attribute um, all of its failures to some outside enemy for purposes of trying to build consensus inside your inside your own country. And I think if that is, the, I'm not saying that's the definition, but if that is the definition, I'm pretty sure that's what's going on. Because the, you know, I think that we got to think about the how deeply corrupted and inverted Congress is. Again, I think that's the heart of where the sinophobia is coming from. Yep. Is that in American democracy, Congress does not represent the people, and we know this. The representation, the interest that Congress actually pushes for comes from the lobbyists. That's where they get all, and I've, I've worked in Washington. I'm a lawyer. I've worked, uh, you know, within the 
uh, within the government where we were doing uh, uh, rulemaking. It's a, it's a legislative act that we were doing. We were working in concert with the lobby. We were working with the big financial institutions on how to write the rules. And that, that is how, that's who they're representing. What they're doing is they're trying to sell that product to the American people. So they are, in a sense, manufacturing consent in through the, but through the political system. And so they're salesmen. They're taking policies that, you know, their, their, their patrons are, are, uh, are asking for, and that's pro-corporate, pro-military all day, and asking them to make that palatable to the American public. And I think they're realizing that, you know, that the, the, the situation for your average American working person is so bad right now, it's so dire, that they've got to move to the harder sales tactics. And I think of Glengarry Glenn Ross, you know, where like Alec Baldwin comes in and he's like, it takes brass balls to sell to the American people, you know, and he opens up his uh, briefcase and it's the Epic Times, you know, it's like all sorts of Falun Gong shit, you know, whatever kind of, it's all this sort of stuff. And they're like, we've got to use this to sell the American people because this is the only sales pitch we have left. And that's fitting the definition. If that's the definition of fascism, I feel like that's what's happening, where they're saying the only way we can continue down the current path, which is a, you know, the military industrial complex, which is a jobs program spread out all among these various congressional districts. And we've got all sorts of corporate uh, giveaways, the CHIPS Act, you know, whatever. I mean, the CHIPS Act is just a straight giveaway to Intel and Micron or whatever, but they sold it as what? Uh, let's stay competitive with China Act or whatever. I mean, that's what they're doing, right? They're using China as a sales tactic to continue business as usual. But now I think we're getting to the point where the overuse and abuse of this sales tactic is starting to worry, I think, other interests. It's starting to have perverse uh, um, side effects or externalities that I think are now giving rise, and I think this is what I want to talk about next with you guys, to a strange, I don't want to call it a coalition, but a strange number of prominent voices out there who have become unexpectedly anti-war. Among them, Tucker Carlson, of all people, the right-wing uh, Fox News demagogue guy, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who was on his show, talking about how we need to, you know, de-escalate and, and walk ourselves back from the brink of war. We've seen Eric Schmidt. I think that's a little bit less surprising. And a lot of corporate interests coming and saying, look, you're starting to really, you're starting to overdo it a little bit with this. I, I'm starting to see that there is a, a, um, a loose... Uh, there's a, just a number of interests and people that are coming out and saying we've got to put the brakes on this runaway process. I don't know if it's coalesced into a movement. I don't know if it's, it, it hasn't. But I just think that, that that is starting to happen. But you find it in the most unexpected of places. I don't know uh, if you guys have noticed this. Yeah, and if you yep, do, like, yep. you, you absolutely do. It's, it's yeah. as if um, this thing, which is very profitable for the uh, so-called military-industrial complex, uh, has gone too far. And uh, it's starting to freak out uh, the other money people, the other industries. If, if I were Apple, for example, I would be seriously freaked out by, by what's going on. So I used to work in, um, uh, in, in business across uh, East Asia, uh, mostly Southeast Asia, but also, uh, you know, Hong Kong, China. And if you've ever operated out there, I think team has as well, you know, it's absolutely unreal to, to imagine that you're going to decouple violently or that these, this is the enemy, you're going to start drawing lines. Um, this is crazy. If you actually look at how production works, how manufacturing works, uh, you realize these sort of China watchers who are talking about, you know, this, uh, they live in a sort of fantasy world uh, in which global production networks uh, never happened. Um, take any sort of device, any sort of moderately complex device, and see how it's made. 
And you're going to realize that you're courting absolute disaster uh, to think of uh, trying to decouple this um, violently. Um, so, so the unreality of that, I think, is hitting some people, and it's going to hit some people in the pocket. There's going to be more and more of this. Uh, Micron, for example, if China sanctions them, I think they're, they're finished. Uh, so, so yeah, there, there are these, uh, these voices as well. Uh, speaking of very quickly about fascism, you know, this is a often an overused or easily used term, but you really have, apart from what Tina was talking about, uh, one thing associated with fascism is the sort of melding of the corporate uh, with, uh, with the public, with, with government. And you see the way um, tech works now, social media and mainstream media, and you see a, a marriage. Uh, Matt Taibbi wrote a piece recently, you know, saying that, you know, the, the, the press are now, are now the police. Uh, if you look at uh, this, this medium, Twitter, for example, and at the absolute sort of melding of, 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 the, uh, of Twitter with national security type agencies uh, and the uh, management of, of truth and of so-called disinformation on it, uh, you see a sort of a marriage of, of, of the two, uh, which is uh, very like what people call fascism. Um, and you know, mainstream media, for example, this this guy, uh, the Discord leaker, Tehera, and uh, the way in which uh, he was uh, uh, so investigated, identified, and handed over on a plate to uh, the FBI by the Washington Post, right? And one other paper, I'm not sure, was it the New York Times? So they're proud of this. Um, so the U.S. has changed drastically in the last uh, four or five years. Or rather, the changes that we have seen over the last, say, 10 years or so, to my mind, since the global financial crisis in particular, they've really sort of accelerated exponentially in the last five years. And um, this is not your daddy's America. This is not the America that a lot of uh, Asians, for example, who not, are being here through this period, throughout this period. This is not the America that if you live in Singapore or Malaysia, if you haven't been paying attention, you're not working with uh, what we experience here as the United States. That's another thing I want to get to tonight. Yeah, I don't know if any of our, uh, if the anyone that we... Is now a speaker has something to they want to say or to hey. um, ask? Yeah. Hey. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, yeah. So I've I've been more or less following what's been going on with America and China, and, and essentially the question that I have is, um, what is essentially China's response to this? I mean, we know America's obviously the aggressor here. Um, uh, I'm more so curious as to. Um, what potential possibilities could lie in the future? Um, most of us here are uh, essentially worried about war, um, and we do know that it is essentially uh, a narrative that they are trying to give to us um, throughout pretty much all forms of media. Like it's, it's, they're really just trying to sell us that that hatred emotion. Like they really just want us to buy into that, and people are because they're not really looking into. <laughs> their their mental health basically it's really just just their mental health and the fact that 60 percent of americans aren't educated or, or can't even uh, read past uh, i believe it was a grade six level is is really really wrong i think that's really the core of the problem is that they just don't know um my only solution that i could really see without war is it would have to come internally from america i don't think there's anything that could be done <sighs> but yeah if it's to break the to, so your, your question seems to be like okay you know we've identified this like runaway cycle we've identified these these tendencies like what, what's the out what, what's the possible outcome here well i'm, I'm and, also curious as to if you guys would have a more uh updated um response as to what where china is is responding with with this well i mean china china has china is the, the rational actor here um i mean so far uh you know china has been trying to 
<clears throat> not playing into the game of U.S. provocation. You know, when when Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan, for example, on a U.S. Air Force jet with U.S. Air Force fighter escort, China didn't shoot her down. You know, to much to the disappointment of many people across the world. <laughs> But it, it, what what China did is China did a military exercise immediately after she left. And similarly, after uh, Speaker of the House McCarthy met with uh, Taiwan leader Tsai, Tsai Ing-wen in L.A., then China did another military exercise to to show their sovereignty. Because Ch- Chinese concern here is the, the the sovereignty over Taiwan, and and but they only did the military exercise in response to the U.S. provocation. Um, and, and again, it's it's a gesture. And and China is not in in the interest of China to have a war with United States at this point, um, because it, it, why it, time is on China's side every day, every 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 month, every year. China grows stronger in relative strength vis-a-vis United States. It, 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 there's a common saying in、uh, now now it's commonly accepted conventional wisdom in U.S. mainstream media that China somehow is going to start a war either in 2027 or 2025 over Taiwan, which is completely bogus. You know the 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 only source I could find right now traces to the to the CIA director. Burns and, and and you know according to the U.S. intelligence, China has a plan to take Taiwan 2027. Well, it's the same U.S. intelligence that told us about uh, uh, Saddam Hussein's mass、uh, weapon, <laughs> his weapons of mass destruction. So I, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna put,、uh, you know, I'm gonna put a lot of salt in that intelligence. And and right now in China, in the Chinese domestic media. There's not no talk about mobilizing the nation for war. A lot of the war talk is overwhelmingly coming from Anglo media. Again, you know, it's not to China's advantage to have a war with United States at this moment, and China is the one that's trying to avoid to having a war. So this is kind of the 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 only silver lining in this、uh, craziness we live in right now. You know, China is trying not to. Get into a war with United States while while U.S. is beating the war drums, and but we're 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 I think our focus、uh, right now is on this space is why U.S. is having this crazy psychosis, and I, I think、uh, I mean Tin and Zhang already have、uh, <laughs> stated very clearly because there's a sharp divide of interest between the U.S. elite and the U.S. working class people, <laughs> and and and. And I think that's that, and and I like what Zhang said about bringing the empire back home.、Um, I mean, in a way, it's not U.S. versus the world; it's it's a U.S. ruling elite versus the world. Because even for the average Americans, you know, how much benefit do they really derive from U.S. being an empire? I mean, co- compared to say all the. People who participate in the military-industrial complex—it's—it's it's those it's those people in the Congress, the people, the think tankers—it's all these、uh, people working、uh, at the top level in Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, Boeing. Those people are getting getting you know fat paychecks,、uh, and, and and but we, but the U.S. average U.S. Americans are the ones who have to bear consequences. You know, right now, like they have a crisis in Sudan. And United States evacuated its embassy staff, and then the White House speakers, when <laughs> during the press conference, said, "You know, the U.S. citizens who are trapped remain trapped in Sudan must seek their own arrangement to leave." And then to add on to that, the, the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan <laughs> went on to say that it's not the standard procedure for United States government to evacuate its citizens from war zone. I mean, it's it's just amazing this kind of statement coming out from United States officials when U.S. Navy ships are just sitting nearby in the Red Sea, where they have for the past decades they have have tried to help Saudi Arabia enforce embargo on the people of Yemen.、Uh, and and I, I mean, I can go on and on, but but the fact is that the the U.S. state apparatus right now is not set up. To serve the interest of the people, you know, it's it's not it's not really by the people for the people. Uh, uh, it's for the Washington elite. And、uh, sorry, I'm I'm ranting, but the the iron mic you had your hands up for a while. Go ahead. 
Iron Mike, dude. You you have your Yo, love up. and light. Yeah, love and light, peace and blessings. Uh, my name is Dana Burton, a.k.a. Showtime, godfather of the Iron Mike. I'm an American citizen uh, in self-exile in the People's Republic of China, uh, speaking to you live from Shanghai, which has been my home for the past 25 years. I've been deeply concerned about this crisis. I, I think about it literally every day um, as an American that lives in China. Um, as I'm living here and, and, and enjoying the uh, the lifestyle, the environment, the government, uh, the, the progress of China. Uh, I'm reflecting on what's happening in my home country, my, my, my country of origin, uh, especially my hometown of Detroit, Michigan, and who's keeping an eye on us. And this crisis uh, that's been fabricated uh, by the U.S. government, uh, by the military-industrial complex, the deep state, and politicians, uh, this isn't about some war with the CCP or the CPC to be more uh, accurate. Uh, if that's the case, they're, they're failing miserably, and uh, they don't stand a chance. But we don't want to see that. What this is really about, this is a war on the American people. It's a psychological war, and it's also a war, a cultural war. Uh, it's a basically uh, targeting anyone of Chinese ethnicity and of Chinese descent. And that's how it's really being played out. Uh, I can't count all of the his hysterical news stories that come out every day, but there's a couple that, that cut close to home that just happened. Like I said, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, one is in, in, in Goshen. In northern Michigan, there's a Goshen uh, battery plant that is uh, about to be built, and the local GOP has decided they're going to make this into a political you know, football and basically hype up a bunch of hysteria and xenophobic, anti-communist uh, rage and madness in the state of Michigan, where hundreds of people are going out protesting in the streets with signs, chanting, saying no to the CCP or get the CCP out. Um, they're doing rallies, they're hitting the podium, and they're telling people how their family members uh, fought in so many wars and died and killed so many communists. Uh, they're, they're damn near foaming at the mouth. Uh, they're, they're making allegations that the Chinese communists are going to invade from the north, south, uh, and expand from from inside, it's it's madness. And I've, I've documented uh, th these happenings on my um, on my Twitter page. And then just today, uh, you know, Praz, the rapper, you know, from the Fugees. I'm a hip I'm a hip hop promoter, and I'm actually trying to build bridges with hip hop between the United States and America. And this climate is so hostile that it's not welcoming. I should be organizing festivals and bringing artists over to America but it's not the cool thing to do to have culture exchanges when you have a rapper like the Fugees, one of the, the, the highest selling hip hop groups in history. He just got indicted for 22 years for being a so-called agent of a foreign government of China. Um, so this reminds me of the Red Scare and McCarthy area and what happened to a lot of my elders, like the great W.E.B. Du Bois, um, people just being uh, labeled friends of China. Uh, you're, you're in danger. You're a threat. You can't even, you know, engage with people. Literally tomorrow, when I think about the decline of America and the sad state that it's in, tomorrow I'm going to Changsha on a pilgrimage with 10 million other Chinese people that are all tourists traveling for the holiday. I don't think anything quite like that happens in America at any point in time, not for like a four-day holiday, 10 million people. And I'll be at a music festival, a rap battle, with 40,000 people, uh, all hip-hop, grassroots uh, festival, uh, drawing out 40,000 people. So these myths about China and what they tell you on the media that it's this terrible, horrible place are lies, and we have to keep our eyes on the United States. So thank you for allowing me to speak. I was just happy to see my brother Kyle in the room. I just opened the app, and he had a room going. So I'm just, just happy to be here and uh, continue to do the work that you do. We have to raise our voices and speak out. You, you, this work is so important. You know, even if there's 100, 200 people in the room, you don't know who you're going to impact. And I think that, uh, you know, we can't be, uh, you know, we, we have to continue to be vigilant and keep our voices uh, being heard. Right? Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Iron Mike. And I hope you enjoy your long weekend of the holiday. The uh, I know China has a long weekend to celebrate the International Labor Day, May 1st, coming up. And, 
the May 1st is actually a, a, a remembrance of the, the labor movement that started in the United States, the Haymarket riot in Chicago. But, you know, of course, we, we can't celebrate that anymore in the United States. You know, we have to move. We have to intentionally legislate to have the Labor Day in the United States uh, not in May 1st, you know, because that, that you know, we don't want to be, be uh, tied with the international communist and labor movement. <laughs> so we, we, United States need to have its own Labor, labor Day uh, 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 later in the year. But, but, but uh, thank you, Iron Mike, for speaking up and, and enjoy your uh, Labor Day weekend in China. Um, it, uh, it's, it's awesome to have Iron Mike here. I think I first heard you on, was it Carl's? program, uh, but I was blown away uh, by your description of the rap scene in, in China. I mean, that was, you know, beyond my uh, expectations and something. You should talk about it uh, more. But this matter of uh, uh, black people uh, being um, sort of targeted, this is a very dangerous thing. To me, it's, it's very much canary in the coal mine. Uh, it's not just Praz either. I think there were uh, some black socialists. Exactly, like the Uhuru movement guys. All right. So you know yeah. anything about the um, early 60s, late 60s, early 70s, and the targeting of uh, black nationalists, uh, they're the first guys to, to, to get hit. Um, this is the uh, conjunction, this, this is the, the, the connection that is absolutely taboo to the national security state, sort of uh, the black cause and the anti-colonial third worldist um, anti-imperialist uh, stuff around the world that's the connection you're not supposed to make so I think it's, um, yeah i think it's more than just it's not just simple racism it's also i think it's a fear i think you're right to say that it's Absolutely. a fear yeah. it's fear. that, that would really cause a short circuit because exactly. race is one of those third rail topics that the people in pop power in america the the ruling establishment really fears as um, something that's going to break the country apart. And no, so, I, I agree. I mean, they, they, I mean, they don't really they talk about China, hyping up China threat, but to the U.S. Elite, uh, elite you know, they, they, don't, they don't really scare, they're not, they don't really scare by China. They're scared of black people with guns. That's what they're scared of. <laughs> and and um, this actually brings based. me back to... Uh, the, the statement made by Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor uh, on the Sudan evacuation, you know, he said, uh, he said, OK, we, it's not standard practice for United States to send U.S. military into war zone to extract American citizens. We didn't do it in Libya. We didn't do it in Syria. We didn't do it in Yemen. And no, we didn't do it in Ukraine. So apparent. So it's it's true. United States did not evacuate citizens from from Yemen. Uh, where it, there was tens of thousands of Americans trapped there, just as now there are tens of thousands of Americans trapped in the war zone in Sudan. And when I posted that, there are many comments under my tweet saying, oh, yeah, of course, it's probably because of most Americans that were trapped in Sudan right now, they're Sudanese Americans, you know, because they're black. So, of course, you know, the State Department don't care about them. And I think there's some truth to that, because that's exactly what happened to the Yemeni Americans that were trapped in, in the civil war in Ye Yemen few few years ago. You know, like, what, what is, uh, what is br more brown and black lives to all these uh, high and mighty statement, uh, you know, State Department officials and, and then U.S. foreign policy makers, right? I mean, this is... It, 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 I, I think there's a, definitely some truth to that. I think uh, Bolo Young has had his uh, hand up for a while. Roy, you, Roy, you. Yeah, Bolo Young. Come on. <laughs> hey, uh, bricks don't hit back, right? That's, that's why. That's why he's my avatar. You know, accidentally he like you know predicted the future. He knew there was like going to be you know a, 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 you know like a backlash, whatever. So anyway. Uh, shout out to Iron Mike. You're going to Changsha. That's my hometown. That's where I grew up. Make sure you uh, pay a visit to the Mao statue, Sphinx. You know, there's uh, fireworks every Saturday from what I remember. I, I think they're still continuing that same practice. So it's a, festi it's a festival on every weekend, right? So uh, I agree with Carl Zod with what he said about, you know, the establishment being... Uh, kind of out of touch with like what actually is, you know, what this conflict is. If you look at Joe Biden and during his, you know, campaign 
in 2020, what is what was one of the things he said? And this like is illustrative of you know how much Joe Biden understands like the you know you know ma- macroeconomics. He's he went into a coal mining town. I think I believe it was Pennsylvania, and he said, you know, coal miners say we're gonna you know we're gonna go green, and therefore you guys should learn how to code. You know, learn how to code. <laughs> This is something that, you know, media did not pick up on, but he literally is telling coal miners who never liked schools to begin with to learn how to code so they can transition out of like this, you know, traditional like mining um, career so that, you know, they can adapt to the oncoming, uh, you know, fourth industrial revolution where a ton of people are going to lose their jobs. So this is the level of discourse we're having in Washington you know, as far as like presenting a solution to America's, you know, what the average Americans are facing in terms of their job prospects in the in the future. So with that said, you know, you have to, you know, extrapolate that to his understanding of like the economy balance between China and the U.S., where he thinks it's plausible to decouple and just sanction China out of this like, you know, breakneck growth that it's seen in the last 35 years. It's completely fucking delusional. Joe Biden, like the fact that, you know, America elected someone who's like, you know, close to 85 years old is, you know, basically in a cognitive decline every year and can't barely put a sentence together and barely make up a flight of stairs. It's just, you know, it's it's an indictment to the level of, you know, democracy that we currently have. Like, I don't think anyone within their, you know, right of mind as far as like, you know, a voter in America will want someone who is cognitively not there to run a country this big, this powerful with a ton of nuclear weapons. There's no one who thinks that. And anyone that you talk to in your family, I'm pretty sure has the same, uh, uh, the same, you know, same opinion as far as Joe Biden's. I don't think the American establishment knows how to even deal with a country as large as China because it doesn't know what to do with itself. So, and then what else? As far as like, you know, Chinese, uh, the you know, China basically invading Taiwan. I agree with Carl. Like it's, if you, uh, the Chinese government do not have Western uh, style election campaigns. They don't go around and have this rhetoric where, you know, like to win votes. So the, whatever, whatever the Chinese government says in regarding to Taiwan, they would never come out and say, you know, like military will be our first option because first of all, it's not necessary. This war would never start if China choose not to fight it, right? So like, you know, like some of you said, you know, time is on China's side. As long as China's focused on the economy, eventually, eventually the U.S. dollar will see their prominence to the uh, to a third or alternative currency where it can no longer be printed at will and someone's going to be buying up U.S. debt Therefore, the U.S. will lose its positions uh, by having to, you know, retreat and abandon, you know, a, a decent amount of military bases so it can so it can be physically sound. Like, there's no way, like, the dollar can continue to be printed at this rate and still have the, you know, the the government be solvent as far as debt goes. It's just not sustainable. It can happen. It can happen within our life. It can happen in the next ten years because of the rate. You know, our debt is being incurred. So it's just no way. China is basically sitting back. It's watching what's happening. It's watching Americans' mismanagement when it comes to money. And it's just going to sit back and say, hey, you you know, you're going to keep doing this. Well, guess what? You're not going to be around for a while, in a while, because you can't maintain this level of, you know, military presence all over the world, you know, in perpetual. So that's that's where I'm at. I think that's well put, though. I don't think you're going to have to wait that long because I, I, I don't think it's simply a matter of money printing. But, you know, it seems like we're going to get uh, a real we have a de- real debt ceiling crisis on our hand, which I think is, is part of the is consistent with, I think, what, uh, you know, I think it's consistent with a lot of things that we're trying to say here, which is that what what. You know, I think of America as kind of like a crazed, rabid dog, and it's not really like you said, it's. Just like Joe Biden, I don't think the United States ruling establishment is quite, or even America as a whole, 
is quite aware of its surroundings, right? Like, the U.S. is engaged in a very internal struggle right now, and I think that the ruling establishment is desperately trying to um, to get the bucket brigade out here and, and, and toss as much of this internal fighting into some sort of external conflict because it's the only way, it's the only thing they know how to do. Uh, there, there is, there doesn't seem to be really any real way to integrate, uh, or, or to, or to reach some sort of compromise internally. And so that I think like, you know, if you look at the debt ceiling and the fact that, you know, we're, we're, you know, one faction of the Congress is fully willing to just completely have the U S default on its debt and cause a, an economic catastrophe. They're willing to play chicken with that. It tells you how that just, that, I mean, the debt crisis alone to me tells you how the, you know, the real conflict is like a, the real potential conflict. I'm not saying with like muskets and like front lines in Gettysburg or whatever, but is a, is a U, U.S. civil war of sorts, a, a civil conflict inside the United States. I think that's the thing that we're desperately trying to export our conflict in some well, way. that's why uh, I think w w the Matt Iglesias said that we, we need to have be on this anti-China bandwagon because to have China as a threat is the only thing that's going to unite the U.S. together. Yeah, they, say it, they say it all right. So. Yeah, I think, um, yeah. sorry, um, I think, well, essentially, the main narrative that's getting pushed around here is the, the sovereignty of Taiwan. And, like, when the average American kind of, like, hears, like, oh, China doesn't want Taiwan to be sovereign, they kind of see it as, like, what do you mean that, like, they don't want them to be free kind of thing? So I think education is the most important thing here um, about kind of teaching people about the history about, like, Kai-shek and just, you know, all that other good stuff. It's, it's really frightening to see. Well, most Americans don't even know the difference between Thailand and Taiwan. So, um, I, I mean, the, the, nor, nor should they. I mean, the, right now, U.S. have been a problem of its own internally. Uh, and, and this is why our, what our politician tried to distract us from, you know, because, no, no, you got to focus on the big bad China, not, not on our failing schools, failing infrastructure, and, and, and why our industrial base has been hollowed out so there's no longer any uh, decent uh, middle-class manufacturing jobs in the United States. I mean, I mean, it's, it's it's a lot easier to say, oh, because that's because China stole our jobs, China stole our technology, right? But China did not put a gun to Steve Jobs' uh, head and say, hey, you got to open up plants in, in, in Apple, uh, you got to open plants in China to assemble Apple phones. No, because uh, the, the Steve Jobs decided on his own because he thought, okay, well, I can take advantage of the cheap Chinese labor and and uh, you know the global labor arbitrage. So so and 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 plus that that China already built a world class infrastructure, and and this is a, this is nothing that United States could not do. You know, just simply do what the Chinese government is doing. You know, investing its own population building up the public education, building up the public infrastructure. But why do that when you can just get on your soapbox and, and say China bad and get elected? Uh, so, and, and but, but that's the problem, Carl. We can't do that because if, they, if someone actually put forward, you know, a massive infrastructure spending bill, the other side's going to be, the other, the other party is going to say, you're just going to, you know, this is a waste. This is a, this is a corruption. This is, you're just adding to the debt and they're going to block you. And, and so it's this, it's this absolute political deadlock that cannot express itself in, in any form of rational politics. And so it becomes this sort of cultural war, social war. And we're just trying to avoid, you know, an outbreak of like, literally, like this is, a, this is like one of the number one, or if not the number one domestic security issue is domestic terrorism. And... I I mean, it's also a lot easier to to focus on divisive social issues than because all you have to do is just say, OK, I take a stand on this issue. You don't have to do anything. 
You just literally say, I take a stand, I stand with this side. And, and that's it. Whereas, you know, to actually rebuild America, to actually investing in its future, that takes real hard work. Who wants to do that, right? I mean, I mean you, you, U.S. is all about making quick money. Um, and, and, and Amy, you, 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 I think you, you, you had your hands up. And, and, and go ahead and, Amy, ask your questions. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say, first of all, I'm, I'm really enjoying this space and all the speakers. Uh, it's very, very, very interesting. I'm American. I'm a Swiss American. And we just returned about a year ago from living in Geneva, Switzerland for a few years. And I agree with the speaker that are in the space, the host, but also people calling in because I can tell you that one thing that was different for us in Geneva, which was a good difference, was nobody had this sort of ideal or belief that the Chinese government was bad or Chinese corporations are evil. You know, you can buy a Huawei phone there or tablet. Um, here in America, I really think that it's a bipartisan thing, basically like anti-China hate speech. Um, and I think part of the problem is a large segment of our government in both parties are really bigoted and prejudiced, if not outright racist. And I feel like nowadays there's too many young voters. I don't think that even a lot of Republicans would openly say like, black Americans are dangerous or, you know, we don't like Latino people um, because they know that most voters just would not tolerate it. But I don't understand because I feel it's kind of acceptable to have this anti-Asian hatred about, you know, the Chinese communist government is trying to do this and that. It's like almost like the Democrats with their Russiagate, how Putin really became like the boogeyman. Um, which I'm not a fan of Putin. I mean, I don't like him. I'm a communist, so he wouldn't like me very much either. But I feel like this is just a major distraction. And I wanted to agree with the speaker who talked about our crumbling infrastructure. Seeing the difference of the medical system in Geneva, which is not socialized medicine, but it's still better than it is here in America. And, and just, I think that over the course of the pandemic, so many more Americans have really woken up to the fact that our government doesn't give a damn about us. Um, they don't want to pay the necessary jobs, a living wage, but, you know, they want us to work through COVID with basically no protections, not even mask mandates. Um, and then on the other hand, China was like building hospitals in 10 days in areas where they were needed. So while I do sometimes hear people in real life criticizing like the lockdowns in China that were talked a lot in our media about here, um, I always very carefully refute that with my point of view is that at least the Chinese government cared about its citizens living or dying and they tried to stop the spread of COVID or at least slow it down. Whereas here in the U.S., I mean, I think that we have more than a thousand people dying a week. Um, you know, school children are, my brother lives in New York City. He, he has a friend whose children have caught COVID three and four times. And so I think that that's another really convenient anti-China hate speech is a very convenient distraction from the fact that our government basically is no longer, I think, a democracy, certainly doesn't function in any democratic way. And also that they're only representing, you know, the 1% of the 1%. And I think a lot of people find it very easy to try to focus that sort of anger on China versus, you know, I, I wish we had French-style protests here. I can't believe that we don't. Yeah, I, I second that. We, we should have French-style protests on the street. <laughs> and and th there should be, like, a FOSS <laughs> track for that. Um, I, I, th I wanted to go back to what Teen said earlier about um, now, now the the Congress people have gone so far off the track. There seems to be some pushback from some odd quarters. You mentioned the name Eric Schmidt, the former Google CEO. Um, I just like to remind people, Eric Schmidt is actually the major figure that pushed for the Chip Act to push yes. for 
the U.S. restriction of technology export to China, not not just U.S. restriction. I mean, chip ban is really a global sanction. It's it's United States is telling Taiwanese companies, TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductors, you cannot sell, uh, you can no longer supply chips to Huawei, right? I mean, Taiwan is not even U.S. territory, <laughs> and and yet. The, you know, U.S. sanction because the, 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 you know, U.S. still essentially controls the world financial system through uh, dollar as the world's uh, reserve currency has that power because it says if you, know, if you want to do business with U.S., you have any business dealing U.S., you have any business dealing in dollars, you cannot, you have to do as we say. Um, otherwise, you're going to get sanctioned. And, 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 and Eric's, and again, I, I think there's still various interests, um, and there's even the Pentagon. Pentagon has publicly came out. It was there was a, a chairman of Joint Chief of Staff, uh, uh, General Milley, who gave the uh, interview on Defense One. He actually came out and said, "Oh, okay, guys, let's cool off with the, the war talk with China. You know, that's not helpful." But then he went ahead to emphasize, "Yes, we need to sell weapons to Taiwan." So I think for most of the pe- people involved in the military industrial complex, their primary goal is still gra- uh, grift. Their primary goal is to still pushing for uh, selling weapons abroad, um, you know, uh, for, for U.S. government to acquire more weapons. And, and, but ultimately, it's about making money, right? And, and they, they're not really serious about, you know, starting a civilization ending war with China. But they need to keep the tension high with China so they can justify selling weapons. And so what, what General Milley is saying is like, look, look, we want to sell weapons, but like don't escalate the rhetoric into a full-blown war. You know, we just want to kind of walk close to it, but not actually do it. And I think the same same uh, can apply to Eric Schmidt. Eric Schmidt, the reason he's pushing for uh, the, the chip ban is uh, he has this wacky idea about how U.S. need to win the next generation AI war versus China because uh, surprise, surprise, he runs a company that that uh, you know he he runs an AI company and and he want to cripple his Chinese competitors and and and, and he has this crazy idea that somehow um, you know the China is gonna get its uh, get its um, terminators first than united states so that's why we we must cripple the the chips by to china right now to sub- stop their ai research this is completely nuts i mean i mean not to mention that that ai the the so-called the um uh, the, the level of ai he's talking about is still decades away uh but but now what he's doing is worsening the u.s china relationship for right now and he's one of the person that's kind of pushing the u.s china relationship into this like very dangerous direction but even he come out and saying uh yeah like war is bad i mean ultimately it's about money guys these guys just want to get their get their money their their their, their bags and, and go retire in their private island somewhere you know in the mcmansions in virginia etc etc uh go ahead team all right so this is the end of part one of the twitter space that i did with john and carl it went on for about another hour and that'll be posted as uh, part two of this podcast and that'll be available to uh, patrons on our Patreon feed. If you want to join, uh, patreon.com slash planamag.